Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, October 18th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Y Trend Bowie. Hey, everyone. So, uh, Ben, you asked what's going on, and the answer is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> like, the news has been, like, last week it was a lot going on. This week it's next to nothing. Uh, oh, before we get into the news, actually, I did want to read a quick listener uh, email or tweet. Uh, the other day, I wondered why there were so many baseball movies in the early 1990s. And a listener named Rob G wrote in basically explaining that uh, the MLB rented them out in the off se- rented out their stadiums in the off season because in 1993, uh, they had a strike, uh, and without games, they used the stadiums for, uh, for revenue in 1994 from Hollywood. So that that is why we got so many baseball movies in the early 1990s. According to Rob G., I've not obviously <laughs> checked this information. <laughs> uh, I thought but, it was just because Kevin Costner was hugely famous in the 90s. So <laughs> that that could be as well. I mean, it could be a combination of things, but I do know that the strike did happen, and uh, it, it does seem to correlate with a bunch of these movies being produced in uh, 93, 94. So, anyways, I just thought I'd bring it up. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, but let's let's jump into the news. Uh, let's start off with a couple updates from yesterday's show. I, I think I mentioned that uh, we were talking about Marvel's TV series on Netflix, and we were kind of uh, wondering what does Disney streaming service mean for the future of those shows, and uh, we, we finally got a confirmation. I think a little bit, at least some kind of clarification here from the Netflix heads. HD, what do we know? 
So the Disney streaming service means nothing, essentially, to the Netflix Marvel shows. Um, basically, the Netflix chief content officer, Ted Sarandos, uh, confirmed that Netflix plans to continue making their um, Marvel shows for the foreseeable future. His exact quote um, in an interview with Inverse was, those shows are for us to cancel, and we're super happy with their performance so far, uh, aside from the Iron Fist, which they just canceled, of course. But uh, it seems <laughs> but it that was this is confirming. Decision. It, was it was Disney's their decision. It was their decision. Yeah, it's it's separate from anything that um, Disney or that Marvel Studios is doing on the cinematic side or even on the TV streaming side, because we know that Disney is playing their own uh, Marvel shows with the Loki and Scarlet Witch spinoffs. So um, I think there was a report a little while ago that. Um, about the goings on and like the Disney um, Marvel like corporate world right now, and that there would not be any uh, new Marvel shows at Netflix. Uh, they would all go to the streaming service, but Netflix's current uh, shows such as Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, The Punisher, and maybe Defenders would go on to have second, third, fourth, maybe even fifth season. So it doesn't seem to, uh, there's not a lot of clarity on whether they can make spinoffs of these shows or whether these are the only titles they could continue making. But that seems to be the um, the contract with the, their, with the Netflix Marvel shows right now. Yeah, I, I I am pretty sure my assumptions correct that basically Netflix owns the rights to these characters for the time being as long as they can continue to still make these shows and probably any you know characters established in those universes. So I I, I don't think we'll see any spinoffs on Disney streaming service from the Netflix shows. I think it's going to be almost like a Netflix Marvel Cinematic Universe of sorts, uh, kind of off to the side. Um, but uh, oh, another story we talked about yesterday. We talked about Jason Blum, who uh, made some really stupid comments about why he has not hired a female director for any of the Blumhouse movies. And HD, you also wrote an update on this story. What do we know? Yes. Yeah, so after the um, backlash that Jason Blum and Blumhouse received following his comments that. Uh, Quote, there are not a lot of female directors, period, and even less who are inclined to do horror, unquote. Um, he has issued an apology for these comments that he called dumb and that he will do better, essentially. So he said, uh, thank you, everyone, for calling me out my dumb comments in that interview. I made a stupid mistake. I spoke too quickly about a serious issue, an issue I am passionate about. Uh, yada, yada, yada. Um, I heard from many today the way my passion came out was dumb. And for that, I'm sorry. I will do better. And later he, in a red carpet interview with Variety for Halloween, he said that he has art, he's already setting out to meet more women um, for directorial uh, roles or what, what's, what you have it. And that he has used this as sort of a learning experience. It. <sighs> It's sad that we live in a world where the reaction comments from the head of Blumhouse is more respectable than that of the president of the United States. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it, it, it's good that he was so uh, quick to respond to this. And uh, clearly it seems like he's making some progress to look at some female directors, um, you know, for future Blumhouse movies. Uh, so I think that's a win-win, right? 
Yeah, I think so. He he really took it in stride and he used it as a way to like basically better himself and better Bloomhouse's directive in a way, which I think is a really good way to uh, approach this kind of thing. Because you could easily lash out and say, oh, it's not my fault and stuff. And we've seen that happen before with directors who have been criticized for this kind of thing. But he has um, really taken it as, as he said before, like a learning experience, which is good. Let's move on to Marvel Comics, who is going to be taking inspiration from Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel uh, for their new Captain Marvel comic book run. Uh, Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so um, basically for the past 40 years, the origin story of the character Captain Marvel has remained the same. And it's very complicated, but I'll give you a very, very quick streamlined version. So the Air Force pilot Carol Danvers meets an alien Kree warrior named Marvell in the comics who is posing as a human scientist. And then a Kree weapon blows up really close to Carol Danvers and fuses her DNA with Marvell's. And that basically turns her into a human Kree hybrid and gives her the superpowers that we know that that Captain Marvel has. But in a new origin story that is going to be in the fourth issue, it's actually in stores right now, available right now digitally and and in comic book stores, of a uh, comic called Life of Captain Marvel, the backstory is changing to reflect what we're going to see in the upcoming Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel movie. So in the new comic, it's revealed that Carol Danvers' mother is a member of the Kree race. So that automatically makes Carol a half-human, half-Kree person from birth and then instead of her dna fusing with marvell's during this explosion it turns out that the explosion basically just activated the latent powers that were within her um and that's kind of a big deal because it it basically means that it no longer uh she no longer is relying on this male character to uh to sort of i guess like um bestow these powers upon her by this whole dna fusing situation it's like she's had it within her the whole time and as the hollywood reporter points out it's a purposeful shift that befits the company's repositioning of the character as a model of female empowerment so it's kind of a cool thing um it's it may seem like a little change but uh that's that's kind of a big deal you know it's 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 one of those things that is going to go a long way for a lot of people and this character obviously has a lot riding on her uh in the movie anyway being the first female-led solo movie of Marvel Studios, which has produced, whatever, 23 movies or something at this point. So, um, yeah, that's kind of cool. Do do we know that this is the same origin as in the new movie? Yeah, actually, HT wrote an article uh, in early September that says that Captain Marvel's Carol Danvers is part human, part Cree, and that was part of, uh, I think, Entertainment Weekly did um, some, uh, uh, you know, one of their slow drip reveals of uh, some information from the movie. So um, we know that that is going to be the case with Brie Larson's version of the character. Very cool. Um, it's interesting that like Marvel doesn't do you know, expanded universe stuff. I know, you know, Kevin Feige is such a big fan of Star Wars and Star Wars has that whole, you know, expanded universe, the stories go, uh, you know, interconnecting throughout different mediums. And Marvel kind of has their comic book universe and their, the the Marvel uh, cinematic universe. And I know there are sometimes prequel comics to the movies, but there really isn't a way for people that love the movies to kind of continue the same adventures of that exact character in the comics. And, but it it is interesting that in a way, you know, the, the movies improve on the comics and then the comics then are influenced by the movies. It's like this, uh, you know, 
reciprocal process. Yeah, it makes sense too because movies are a really easy access point for new fans of of superheroes and to by changing the origin stories to sort of match the movies a little bit closer, they're basically making it more streamlined so that fans who come in from the movies can easily just become comic book fans. Do, do we know of any other occasions of uh the 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 movies completely revamping the comics in a big way. I found this article um, on io9 that has a list of times that the movies have influenced the comics. And a couple of the entries they have on there are for the movie Blade. Uh, I guess Blade's powers were wildly different in the comics before the movie came along. And then the comics sort of um, adapted to uh, what the movie established and then also uh, in one of the many versions of the X-Men comics that came out after Brian Singer's X-Men movie uh, the the character the X-Men characters got like a, a wardrobe revamping to sort of reflect closer to that black leather look that, uh, that appeared that like ironically fans kind of hated those costumes <laughs> when that, came, that movie came out but I guess uh, one of the comics gave them the Costumes that are very, very close to that. But none of these examples are from the Marvel Cinematic Universe that Disney uh, owns and runs, right? Uh, That's correct. Okay, let's move on to uh, It Takes Two, a uh, scripted comedy series at Fox coming from, of all people, the Property Brothers. (laughs) News is slow, guys. (laughs) This is important news here. The Property Brothers are a gift to HGTV watchers, and I'm very happy that they're going to have their own TV but, series. By the way, I, 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 I am mocking the story, but I am an avid watcher of the Pop- Property Brothers. Uh, by the way, I mean, it, they're Canadian, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, they just seem, like, perfect in every way. Like, like nothing ever seems to, like, I've never, like, I've watched so many episodes of that show, and it seems like those guys have, like, no flaws whatsoever they do seem genetically engineered in the lab to be like the ideal of the unthreatening male idol (laughs) (laughs) which is why i love them so much they're just they're just so charming and fun and you know they're identical twins who are just have these megawatt smiles and are very good at their jobs too and i'm not um, sure if a lot of people know this but they they actually uh write direct and produce like their like most of their stuff so like you know mm -hmm. They are heavily involved with all of uh, those shows. Like, it's not just like, you know, a lot of those shows you have a host that appears or, you know, uh, characters that appear on these reality uh, series. But they are like very, very involved in the whole process. Which is probably why they're going to be getting their own scripted comedy series at Fox. So uh, the Property Brothers, a.k.a. Jonathan and Drew Scott, uh, wrote a memoir called It Takes Two. And that memoir is now being adapted into a Fox TV series, which is currently um, committed to a script. And uh, we don't know whether this will be picked up for pilot yet, but this is currently in development. And it will follow their story about um, two entrepreneurial twin brothers who decide to join forces in the real estate business when they realize they are stronger together than apart. So this is um, the first, uh, I think, fictionalized, like scripted uh, series for that is spawned from an HGTV series. But the Property Brothers have their own 
of several reality shows, including the titular Property Brothers. There's Brothers versus Brother and Property Brothers at Home, uh, in which the two brothers, one of which is more is a contractor and the other of which is a real estate agent, um, work together to uh, buy a fixer-upper house for a family and then fix it up and renovate it. And, and both of the brothers are actually actors. Do you, do you know... Do we know if they're actually going to appear in this mo- uh, this show about their their origin their origin story show? We don't know yet. There's no news on casting. We only know that a script is currently being worked on by um, John and Josh Sil- Silberman, who wrote "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia" and the upcoming Wiley e. Coyote movie. Uh, but it's possible that they could have a cameo or maybe even star in it. I didn't know they were actually actors. I do know that one is an illusionist, yes. which Peter was um, excited about. But I uh, <laughs> that would be really cool if they starred in it as well. I mean, like they are they have movie star looks, so I, I mean, would who, totally who, watch them. Who could possibly play them on the small screen? Like I I, I can't imagine anybody being the Property Brothers other than the Property Brothers. That's true. They're very tied to their brand. I would watch them, especially if they starred in it, because if it was someone else and they didn't live up to the expectations I have for um, the Property Brothers, then I might not watch it. But I think if they starred in it, I definitely would tune in. Ben, do you have any experience with the Property Brothers? Guys, all of this has gone totally over my head. I don't watch this. I have no idea who these people are. I've never even seen them before. So I've just been sitting here quietly in the corner. You you have some homework, Ben. You and uh, Amy have to sit down in front of the TV and HGTV and watch an episode of The Property Breath. Which, by the way, is the best HGTV show. Fight me on that. (laughs) I'm going to quit, Peter, if you make me do this. Strange, I think you would enjoy it, but okay, let's move yeah. on. Uh, let's let's now talk about uh, this abandoned Rambo movie that they're now actually making with Sylvester Stallone still starring, but it's no longer a Rambo movie. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah, this is a really weird story. So in 2009, this was like just one year after the fourth Rambo movie came out. Sylvester Stallone was talking about making Rambo Five, which was then referred to as Rambo Five: The Savage Hunt, and This version of the movie, he was very excited about, and it would have basically taken a hard turn into sci-fi territory, where Rambo would have basically faced off against this genetically engineered creature, and that movie was in the works for a long time, we heard a lot about it, and then, of course, time passed and it never happened. Rambo 5 is actually filming right now, but it's not this version. It's basically, it appears to be more of a Western version. I think Chris talked about it a couple days ago on the podcast. Uh, Rambo is battling a Mexican cartel in the new movie, so it's it's not sci-fi at all. But Stallone liked that story, that concept so much, that almost 10 years later, he's making that into a separate movie. And he's going to be starring in it, but he's just not going to be playing John Rambo in it. So the idea is based on this sci-fi action book called Hunter by James Byron Huggins. It came out in 1999. And Deadline now says that Stallone is going to be starring in a film adaptation of that book. And it's going to he's looking for a writer to write the script for that movie right now. So it's basically the story is about uh, Hunter, who is a an ultimate tracker and 
these military guys come and ask him about this, you know, to participate in the secret mission that they're working for. And there's a beast loose somewhere north of the Arctic Circle. And there's all this, you know, secret research facilities. And this military squad is getting wiped out by this beast. And it's a raging superhuman monster heading for civilization. And and the hunter is the only one who can track this half human, half animal abomination out in the wild. So, I mean, it sounds kind of nuts. I, I personally am just really disappointed that Stallone couldn't find a way to get that made as Rambo 5 because you know at at this point Rambo as a character has gone through every uh, permutation of realistic and unrealistic fighting that you know in terms of like track you know I think in Rambo 2 or 3 he fights like the entire Afghan army or some (laughs) incredible you know some crazy thing I haven't seen that movie in a long time but Rambo 4 was like insanely violent he's like just ripping through guys in Burma and, and the idea of the Rambo franchise just suddenly in the fifth entry going into sci-fi is kind of an exciting one. Just even though Stallone is like way older these days, I I just feel like there's a lot of potential for, uh, I guess imbuing that franchise with a, a jolt of energy that it probably wouldn't have. Otherwise I'm not exactly looking forward to Rambo five as it exists in its current form right now. Cause it sounds like this, Wow, sorry. Uh, Go. I'm, I'm not exactly looking forward to Rambo Five in its current form right now because it just sounds like another cartel story. We've seen so many of those in recent years, but the idea of a a sci-fi thing was really sort of fascinating. So I, I don't know. I'm not sure how this is going to be, in you know, with just Stallone being in just a Hunter movie. But uh, what do you guys think about this one? You know. It's strange because I don't feel like Rambo is that interesting of a character. And I would have been very interested in seeing Rambo in a, you know, go full sci-fi. I love when franchises kind of go crazy like that, you know, or Jason's in space or whatever. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Um, and I know it's still going to be Sylvester Stallone. And like I said, you know, it's not like there's like something really that different about Rambo versus his other characters. But I feel like now that it's not Rambo, I'm not, I have no interest in this. I I would rather see, you know, I want to see Rambo versus predator. That's what I want to see. Yeah. This very easily could be, you know, just like a direct to video kind of thing with this premise. And depending on who they get to write and and direct it, you know, it's, it, I feel like it loses a lot of potential being outside of the Rambo universe but i don't know we'll see hc do you have any love for rambo i do not but i have a friend who's a huge friend a fan of rambo and one sent me a like paragraph through dms talking about how the first rambo was actually a very nuanced take on ptsd and then it devolved into this jingoistic franchise and that's all i know about it your friend is very smart that's absolutely true (laughs) Okay, let's move on to our final story, and that is uh, the early buzz for Bohemian Rhapsody, the the biopic starring Rami Malek. Uh, H.T., you wrote this up for the site. Is this movie any good? Um, you have to ask the critics because it's very divided right now. Some people say that it's a by-the-numbers biopic that gets – duller and duller without Rami Malek in the center and others say that it's a great and uh, enthralling film and emotionally exhausting is one of the words was used but um, for example 
Uh, Kyle Buchanan of the New York Times calls the movie a glorified Wikipedia entry. LA Times, Kimber Myers criticizes it for being somehow too long while refusing to dwell on anything that ha- that's actually interesting. But um, everyone is universal in praising Rami Malek's performance as Freddie Mer- Mercury, the frontman for Queen, and the um, this legendary singer who tragically passed away from AIDS in 1991. So uh, he's already been sort of... Um, uh, singled out as one of the top contenders for the Best Actor Oscar, according to, de- to Deadline's Pete Hammond. And uh, again, everyone had words of praise for him, even if they didn't like the movie them- itself. People also singled out the Live Aid performance, uh, which is considered one of Queen's best live performances ever. Do, do you think that we've just reached a point where you can't just do a traditional biopic? Like people are kind of, you know... Uh, We've had, you know, we're in a post walk hard world where, like, you know, that formula has just been done to death. And now, if you're going to do a biopic, it has to be like first man. I think so. I mean, like, whenever we have a new biopic trailer come out, um, our Slack always ends up posting one of the clips from Walk Hard because it always applies. And it's definitely, I think, audiences or maybe just film Twitter has grown tired of something that we've seen over and over again and that almost always gets a place at the Oscar table despite not being very good or original or new. So yeah, I think that's definitely the case. And um, Bohemian Rhapsody apparently doesn't really do anything new despite having a really great lead performance. Ben, do you have any thoughts on on the the future of the biopic? Man, yeah, I, uh, there, I I guess that template is just so well-worn at this point that if somebody can come up with a, a different angle on it, that I, I'm automatically going to be more interested. And that maybe it comes from the position of, you know, somebody who watches a ton of movies and maybe that doesn't apply to, you know, the normal American families or, or you know, people who just go see movies a couple times a year or something. Maybe uh, this uh, template is not as stale for them as it is for us. But I, you know, I'm I'm always in favor of people trying new ways to tell uh, similar stories like this. So I don't know, Peter, are you going to see this movie? Because I, I feel really torn about it, knowing that it's a Brian Singer film and there's, you know, all these allegations about him. And we don't have to get into all of those details here. But just in general, I'm curious what your thoughts are about this film. You know, I, I, I think we talked about this maybe a year ago on this podcast I try not to let the personal lives of the the artists creating the art affect <laughs> my enjoyment of the art, but I, I I've definitely been conflicted with that. You know, I I don't love seeing Mel Gibson films. Uh, there there are some people I I, I avoid. I, I, you're right. I should avoid this, shouldn't I? No, I mean, no, I'm I'm still I still haven't made up my mind. I, I think it's something that everybody has to decide for themselves. And it's just like, you know, where do you fall on the scale? How you know, how um, serious do you want to be about it? And it's not. Uh, yeah, like you're saying, I, I don't begrudge people who decide to go see this because there are so many people who worked on this movie who are not named yeah. Brian Singer and their work probably deserves to be seen and, and celebrated. But it's you know, it's a, one of those things like if you pay for it, you're you know, are you enabling 
you know, are you are you sending Hollywood the message that uh, that you still want to see Brian Singer movies, that kind of thing? I don't know. It's, well, it's a very complicated question. It's not something that we can like answer easily on a podcast. But I was just curious if you had any, yeah. any general thoughts about this movie. If you're like, if you'd already made up your mind about whether or not you're going to see it. Well, if I do see it, it's probably going to be at a press screening, so I would not be giving my money right to. Uh, the film although i have heard whenever they screen films for press the studio actually has to pay for their own movie essentially buy out the theater and it counts towards box office so really i guess essentially by me going to see it the studio is giving themselves money i don't know i'm not sure how that works (laughs) it's very strange uh i don't know like i i am also part of a a film critics group and if his performance is something that's going to be part of that conversation, I'm going to have a responsibility. Yeah, to see yeah it. for sure. Uh, HT, uh, is your choice of seeing this movie or not affected by the artists involved? I mean, I'm of the opinion that money talks best in Hollywood and especially in box office. And I do think that giving my money to this movie will end up kind of lending to that uh, message that Brian Singer can is in demand and will still be working. And like, he still is working. He got a major deal for that Red Sonia movie. So I don't think I would want to give my money to this movie, despite being a big fan of Rami Malek. I'm a huge fan of his work in Mr. Robot and I would like to support him, but I don't, I would rather personally to avoid giving my money uh, to this movie. See, I, I, I'm kind of under the impression, maybe I'm just reasoning it to myself, but I'm under the impression that, like, if I went and supported Red Sonia or whatever Brian Singer does next, that would be more detrimental than, you know, going out and seeing this movie. He did get fired halfway through, so yeah. who knows how much of it he actually <laughs> was responsible for, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if you guys have any opinions on that, uh, send us an email at peter at slashfilm.com and maybe we'll read it in the mailbag. HT, where can we find more of your work online? You can find me every day at slashfilm.com and I'm on Twitter at htranbui. Ben, where can we find you? You can find me writing at slashfilm.com as well and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears. And you have your uh, video tour of that Titanic uh, exhibit right on on the site today. That I think is going up first thing tomorrow morning. Oh, so look for that. It's a uh, a tour of Titanic Belfast, which is like the largest Titanic related exhibit in the world. Well, very cool. And uh, you can find me at Slash Film on all social media. You can find this podcast Slash Film Daily, published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, please go to our iTunes page, write a five star review, tell your friends. Spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow. Okay, so I, I have one question for you guys. Has has there been any movies that you refused to see because you didn't want to support the actors involved or the director involved? 
um like daddy's the daddy's home movies i think uh or or the, i guess it was the second one specifically because they they hired mel gibson and i was just yeah. like i can't that that seems like so uh blatant to me like the the it, it, I, I guess casting him in a lead role is different than letting him be behind the camera for me anyway i know i know this again this is like a very personal thing for everybody and people draw their lines in different spots but that was like I, I found that casting to be particularly egregious to put him in, you know, front and center in a family film. Like I was just like, I'm not, I have nothing to do with this movie. On the other hand, I know that you do not like Johnny Depp, <laughs> that is correct. Uh, uh, but you will still see movies that have Johnny Depp in the movie. I mean, I <laughs> I still haven't forced myself to sit down and watch yeah. the first Fantastic Beasts movie, and that's, oh, that's wow. partially okay. that's partially the reason. The other reason is just I I don't have that much interest in it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Ishi, has there been any for you where you've just been like, no, I'm not doing this? Well, I was a t- in a tough place for Fantastic Beasts. You know, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan, and I was kind of of the hope, I guess, like holding on to a tiny string of hope that. They would recast him, and that doesn't seem like it's going to be the case. But I probably will still see Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, even though he's the title character and plays a prominent part. Um, I just like, yeah. But I, in that that case, I feel like the franchise is bigger than the actor, even if the franchise is sticking by him. Again, I have complicated feelings about it. Um, but there have been, I mean, all the Mel Gibson movies since uh, his, you know, his. I don't, I don't know what you would call it. Incident, <laughs> yeah. His incident, I have definitely not been interested in or have gone out of my way to see. Hacksaw Ridge was his directorial film in 2016 that um, was getting, I think, like some Oscar buzz. And I was like, I have no interest at all to see this. Um, but that, again, wasn't like a huge um, conflict for me because I was never a, a big Mel Gibson fan to begin with. So it's just kind of something that I wouldn't have gone out of my way to do. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't. I can't think of anything else. Like the Johnny Depp one is definitely the the one that weighs the most on my mind. Uh, but I can't think of I think anything right now that I, I, I um, love this dilemma. You're like on mm-hmm. one side it's like Harry Potter, yeah, and the other it's, side it's Johnny Depp. It's like, yeah. It's, what about it's you, really Peter? <laughs> is there is there any for you that you've avoided? Not that not that I can think of. Uh, maybe Mel Gibson, but I think it's been more of my opinion of him as a person has affected my enthusiasm of seeing things that he's involved with and it's not like a you know a calculated decision of i'm not going to go see films that he's involved in it's just i'm not excited to mm-hmm. see does that make sense yeah 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 it's not a it's not a statement it just happens to align with your general interest level yeah yeah I don't know, guys. <laughs> it's a it's a hard line, but I also think, I mean, HT, you do say that you know Hollywood makes all the decisions based on money, which is true. But I also believe that that Hollywood takes the wrong lessons out of everything. <laughs> I feel like yes. if Bohemian Rhapsody does well, I don't think the lesson will be. That oh we need to hire Brian Singer for more stuff. I think the lesson will be like oh my god biopics are back in in style. We got to do more seventies biopics. I mean we're already getting some. We're getting an Elton John one, although that's doing something different too, which is interesting. Yeah, no, that seems more fantastical. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, guys. <laughs> this is a weird place to leave Peter. the podcast. Yeah. but we're we're leaving the podcast here. 
Have a good day.